0: Actually, just during the service, the first service this morning, during the worship, for some reason I still don't really understand, I started thinking about these cookies that my my brother buys for me when I go and visit him. He lives in central London, and there's this bakery near where he lives that's on Deliveroo, and so he knows I love them. So whenever I go to see him, he always puts in a special order for me. And uh, I turn up at his house, and they are the most incredible cookies. They are sort of like half an inch thick, got massive chunks of chocolate, none of this little, tiny little bits, like big chunks of chocolate, um, there are all these really, you know, salted caramel, there's like a raspberry and white chocolate, they've got little chunks of raspberry in there too, the biscuit is kind of soft and, and buttery and sugary and uh, you can, um, what we do when we get them is we, you can warm them in the microwave just for like 10 seconds so that it all gets really gooey and you know, the chocolate's sort of like, you know. Oh, my goodness. And um, I I, I was just, I was thinking about that during the worship of all things. Um, And then it occurred to me, because I knew I was about to give a talk. Gosh, if I can't, um, if I can't even describe to you the taste of a really good cookie, how on earth am I going to describe to you how good Jesus Christ is? Um, How am I going to do that? You really, whatever I say about these cookies, the reality is you do need to taste in order to find out. And whatever I say to you about the goodness of God, the truth is, uh, it'll be inadequate. You do need to taste in order to really discover. But nevertheless, the ship has sailed. I have to give a talk. So this is what I'm going to try and do. Uh, I want to talk about the goodness of the God to whom we dedicate the children this morning. It is uh, exam season for some unfortunate teenagers, I don't know if any of you have made it this morning. You've pulled yourselves away. Those of you who are doing GCSEs, A-levels, but uh, it's, it's kind of painful. And I thought I would try and be a little bit practical for those of anyone in the room. Currently, doing your GCSEs or your A-levels. Give us a wave. There's, there's a few of you. Um, well, this is going to be a very practical talk for you because I thought I'd give some advice on how to cope with your studies well. And I went to the highest authority I know on this subject, Google and typed in, you know, how do you do well with your exams. And so I've got some of the top tips for how to kind of revise well, do well. So here's study tip number one. Laminate your notes so that the tears roll off them. (laughs) Study tip number two. Um, Some people suggest you buy a stress reduction kit. And there's an example of said kit that you can buy that will hopefully come up on the screen. It's basically a piece of paper with that written on. And the idea is you put it on something very hard and do what it says in the circle until you feel better. Um, Study tip number three. So sometimes people get creative in their exams. And if they're not entirely sure of the answer, they try a bit of a kind of a curveball to see if that will get them some extra marks. So uh, here's one grade, that one paper that I found. This person has drawn a little picture of a panda. I don't know if you can see that at the bottom right. And uh, it says, the panda will cry if I get a bad grade. Brackets. Just keep that in mind. Do it for the panda. And then you can see the teacher has written, boo hoo, cheer him up by studying for the finals. <laughs> uh, there's another one that I found. Creative use of animals seems to be a bit of theme. So this three kilogram object is released from a height of five meters on a curved frictionless ramp. Question Does it continue to move after it comes to rest? The person has drawn a picture of an elephant and has written, no, there is an elephant in the way. <laughs> And they didn't even get a single mark for that. I would have given them one. Um, so, and if all else fails, all right, here's study tip number four. Imagine you're sitting there, you're revising, and, uh, you know, it's not going well. Try this. Stand up. Stretch. Take a walk. Go to the airport. Get on a plane. Never return. Um... Even if, even if the last exam you sat was 50 years ago, that's a season of life. That's very hard. But then um, the truth is life doesn't stop being a test of one kind or another. Uh, we just set ourselves tests. We, we have certain standards that we feel like we need to somehow meet. That standard might be uh, hitting a benchmark in our career or having our kids do certain things or being able to afford a particular type of house or you know, whatever it is, looking a particular way. We, we find these sort of markers for ourselves. And we, and we kind of say to ourselves, if I get that, then I've got an A. If I get this, I've failed. Um, if I get this, then I'm worth something. If I get that, then I'm not. And uh, because we have this habit, I think, of testing ourselves, we can think of almost everything in life like a test. And people think of um, Christianity, people who I think haven't heard what it's about From the outside, it can seem like this is just another test. The test is if you live like this, then God will like you. Maybe you'll get to heaven. And if you don't, then you fail. And uh, I became a Christian at 17 years old when I discovered the truth that this is not a test about what we can achieve. It is about resting in what God has done. And uh, just to make that point, I want to take you back to a strange moment in the life of Jesus. Uh, If you don't know the story, Jesus is born he grows up, he does miracles, he teaches, and then he's crucified, and he's, and he's raised from the dead. And that's what we celebrated at Easter just uh, uh, several weeks ago now. And um, this is a moment that comes right at the end of his time on earth. So he's been wandering around, um, appearing to people in different places, different locations, lots of people. Uh, but then in Luke chapter 24, verse 50, we read this, and it's called the Ascension of Jesus. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. And so, I, one of the things that as I read that, I just was really struck by the picture of Jesus lifting up his hands to bless. And the disciples who've traveled around with him for a long time, they've seen his hands bless people. They've seen him help people in lots of ways, healing the eyes of the blind, reaching out and touching those who were considered to be untouchable in that culture, the lepers, those who had to permanently socially distance. They've seen him break bread and feed people. So they've seen these hands bless, But the final view they get of Jesus before he returns to heaven is they see him holding up his hands like this to bless again. And uh, it strikes me that, you know, people's lives in many ways can be captured by a photo, a particular moment. So if you, you know, when people die on the news, they often have these kind of photos through their lives. And often it's one moment, one photo that really captures the essence of somebody. So for me, I think of Usain Bolt crossing the finish line at the Olympics, 100 meter gold. Or um, Muhammad Ali. Have you you ever seen some of those photos they put on the posters where it's him standing over somebody he's just knocked down? So it's it's a moment like that. And if you could take a photo of this moment of Jesus, I think it would capture the essence of who God reveals himself to be when he becomes one of us in the person of Jesus. Someone with their hands outstretched to bless. God comes to give. The message of Christianity is, is not a message of a test. It's not an invitation to try and fulfill a certain set of standards. It's a message of a God who comes forward open-handed to give, to love, to bring life. And, and if we were to look at this photo, one of the things that would strike us about the hands of Jesus would be the scars. Because as the story goes, we, he came and all he came to do was to bless. And in response, we as the human race, we cursed. We nailed him by his hands to a piece of wood. And that's the moment where you think you're going to close your hand. If you're going to raise it, it will be to strike. It will be to judge. It won't be an open hand to bless, but a pointed finger. But instead, what he does is he continues. He holds these pierced hands towards us to continue to give. And, and that, for me, the one who has pierced hands, but hands that reach out to bless, that is... The message of Jesus uh, in a moment and even those of us who've been following him for a while I think we struggle to really rest in this to absorb it so I don't know how many of you noticed on the way into the building but there is a sign on the door um, that's about the fact that this is not the driving theory test center if you missed it can you just put it up on the screen I took that a few minutes before this morning and uh, the story behind the sign is that A couple of years ago, the place where you do your driving theory test moved round the corner to another part of this industrial estate. But on Google Maps, um, it shows that this is the place where you do your driving theory test. So we have had now for years, person after person after person turning up here trying to take a driving theory test. And our team are gracious, but they were doing their nut, hence the passive-aggressive. Let's get the sign back up there. I don't know if you can feel the stress that went into producing that sign, particularly the word not underlined in red letters. Um, Please stop annoying us. But even though we've contacted Google Maps, we've contacted the Driving Theory Test Center, no one has changed it, so it continues to this day. And uh, it has meant... We've found ourselves in all sorts of situations. Um, Nicola Rolfe, who's one of the pastors here at the church, a little while ago, she was selling a desk that we no longer needed as a church, and a lady turned up, and Nicola took her into the room, showed her the desk, said, is this desk fine? And the lady said, yeah, it's absolutely fine. Nicola said, great. And then they were halfway through moving it out to the front of the warehouse when Nicola realized that this lady was here for a driving theory test. And she thought this was the desk she was gonna do the test at. So she was confused confused as to why she was asked to move it outside, but at least they realised before they were loading it into the car. Um, uh, And I've sat in my little room, because I can see these people out the window, and to be honest, I've mocked them in my heart. And and I've seen them squinting at this sign, looking confused. And I've thought in my spirit, how is it possible that you're going to pass the driving theory test? If you can't read that sign, you're not going to be able to read any road sign. I would put it to you that if you cannot find the driving theory test, you're probably not ready to sit it yet. (laughs) Um, So I've thought like that. And, And yet I have also reflected a little bit on, as well as mocking these people, how often I have walked into this building thinking somewhere deep down inside, this is some kind of a test center. That we need to have our church filter on. That we've got to look good and act good and say the right things. How many of us have turned up to church having just had a bad week, feeling a sense of shame and unworthiness? How many of us, when we have a good week, think, God must really love me this week because I'm doing really well? If that's what we think, we continue to think somewhere inside that this is a mistake, uh, that this is a a test, and, and that's so not what it is. He comes to give. He comes to bless And so whatever we do, whatever your story, the truth is this, God wants to bless you. He wants to give to you. That's who he is. This is what he's like. And even when we reject him, he reaches out with goodness and kindness in our direction. So you see this moment in Jesus and then uh, the, the ascension. Strangely, I don't know quite how to picture it, but he floats off into the sky and we're told in the book of Acts that he's hidden by a cloud. And, um, you know, I, I think we don't want to get hung up too much on what that actually looked like in the moment. Um, but for me, I picture it a bit like a firework. Um, not because I imagine him sort of like compressing and then just going boom like this. But because in a firework, you have this small little object that has all this stuff compressed down inside of it. It rises to a height and explodes across the horizon. And so it is with Jesus at the ascension, so to speak. It's as though everything is in him. He rises to a height and then sits on the throne, because that's where he's going. And as he sits on the throne, all the authority in heaven and on earth is, is, explodes across the universe and it comes from his throne, from his seat. And we don't get a live stream to what's happening behind the, the, the cloud. Um, but if we did, it would be some kind of a coronation service. Hopefully a slightly shorter one than the one we watched the other week. But the, the, the angel equivalent of Penny Morden with a sword would be there. And Jesus is sitting. This is his throne moment. He's crowned. And uh, we read about this in Ephesians chapter one. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above, not just a little bit above, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked. And uh, we hear that Jesus sits on the throne of power. But this is the bit, and this, that's crazy, but this is the bit that is, to be honest, it gets even more amazing. Uh, Ephesians chapter two says this, verse six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Part, part of the mystery of understanding What it is to know Jesus is to understand that to become a follower is to become somehow in Christ. And digesting that, I think, is like a lifelong journey. But one of the ways I think about this, and this is a very bad analogy, but bear with me, uh, Tom over here, who was leading our worship just a moment ago, his wife Susie is nine months pregnant. Very literally, she's due on Tuesday. For all Tom knows, she could be in labor right now. Um, and, uh, and so she has little Baby Smith inside of her. And uh, what that means is whatever Susie eats, Baby Smith eats. If Susie eats one of those delicious chocolatey cookies, Baby Smith gets to enjoy it. Wherever Susie goes for the next little while, Baby Smith has to go. So if Susie says, I'm going to go to Asda right now, Baby Smith cannot say, I'm going to take a rain check. Baby Smith also has to go to Asda. Don't think about the analogy too much. But we are in Christ. And what that means is that everything he receives, we also receive. So, so uh, the goodness of the Father, the kindness of the Father that's extended to him, the, the, the dignity that he's given, the intimacy with God, everything that he receives, we also receive. Wherever he goes, we also go. And so he sits right next to the Father in heaven. Somehow, if you can believe it, we sit there too. And I think part of really growing as his followers is to learn, if I can put it like this, to rest in that. So um, I don't like shopping very much. uh, And um, one of the things I'm really bad at, I don't know if you can relate to this is, but... If I go to a shop and someone gives me the sales prattle, I just feel like I have to buy whatever they're selling because I'm a people pleaser. And I don't want to disappoint them. And they've spent two to three minutes talking to me about something. I feel like, oh my word, I've really got to get it for them now. Uh, and my wife is, is absolutely the opposite. She's ruthless. Um, she doesn't care. And a little while ago, we, um, our sofa died. It basically was just pathetic and sad and it felt like sitting on a park bench. So the time had come. We needed to buy a new one. And we decided that we were going to buy it on the internet to get it cheaper. But um, Beth wanted to do some research like in real sofa world. So we, um, we traveled to St. Albans where all the posh sofas live. And we wanted to try out the very best and then find a discount version of whatever that was. And I remember spending an entire afternoon feeling so uncomfortable so alien to my personality to go into these shops when I know I'm not going to buy anything and they're probably going to be disappointed and unhappy. So I would go in and I would try and browse in silence and not meet anybody's eye and then leave as quickly as I could. Beth, on the other hand, she just goes in and engages. And she was asking all these questions and all these different sofa people. And I remember... We went to this one shop where this guy who was setting sofas, this for him was not a day job. This was a calling. This was like a vocation. This was what he lived to do. And so the two of them connected. And I kid you not, had a full on half hour, at least, conversation in this shot, while I'm entertaining two of our other kids, trying to keep them happy and not look at anybody, she's there talking about every different thing you can put inside of a cushion. And they are literally dropping cushions from heights and examining how they land on the ground. I mean, this guy's absolutely loving it. At the end of this 30-minute spiel that he gives to Beth, she's just like an ice queen, just like walks out and just crushes his spirit. Um, but but she walked out knowing all the things she needed to know to buy the right sofa. So then we went online we bought a sofa that was very reasonably priced and was amazing. And I remember it turned up in our house and we'd been remember sitting on this equipment like a park bench for, for a couple of years by this point, it turned up in our house with these massive fat cushions and we just like fluff them and chuck it on the ground to fluff them and pick them back up again and punch them. And then, and then you put them on the sofa and then it's one of these sofas where you just like, I remember for the first few weeks we just kept doing this at the end of the day, I just got home and just, I just go, oh, like this and sit. And you, you kind of land on it and then there's like a second sort of moment to the whole experience where you then sink into it. So you sit, you hover for a moment and then the, the, the feathers just slowly lower you in and, and you're nestled in there like a little bird in its nest. And, 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 and it feels just the most wonderful, ah, oh. And you know that phrase like, take a load off. You know that one, like just take a load. At the end of the day, I'm just gonna take a load off and I'm gonna sit right here. What I wanna suggest to you is that we are seated in the heavenly realms, not on a park bench, but if I can stretch this analogy almost to breaking point, on the, on the cushions of his joy and of his goodness and his gladness and his delight. And for each of us, what, what we've got to learn to do a little more, if I can, if I can say this, is rest in that. Sit in it. He takes the strain. That's the point. That's, this is it. He did the test for us. That was him dying on a cross 2,000 years ago. He got our grade And now we get his and we get to enjoy the fact that what do you need to rest in today? Is it forgiveness? Because you can sit in that and know that whatever we bring to him, he wipes clean like it never happened. What do you need to rest in today? Is it his provision? Because he provides not just the gift of his son, but in every way that we need. What is it you have to rest in today? Are you confused? Do you need wisdom? You can rest in his. Because when we don't know, he does. What is it you've got to rest in him for today? Is it the future? Because he's called the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. So he knows what's coming. You can, you can rest in that. You can rest in him. You can let him take the strain. You can, as it were, put yourself into his scarred hands, knowing that all he wants to do is bless you. This is who our God is.